Hello everyone, I'm Mark, the chief writer here at Maltopia, and I just wanted to remind you the sleep-wake cycle is but one of a series of interconnected horror podcasts within the wide and weird world of Maltopia. For Easter eggs, crossover events, and additional lore, please check out our other series, The Shepherd of Wolves, Red Mother, Grimland, and The Damnation Machine. And be sure to check out our free content on our Patreon page for additional lore and stories. For even more Maltopia content, consider becoming a patron. Starting for as little as $2 a month, benefits range from additional art, update videos, early episode access, our mini-podcast series, October's Children, both written and full audio pieces, such as The Lost Library, Tales of Maltopia, and The Weird Book. You can also gain access to our found footage show, The Weird Tape Series, and even our Patreon-exclusive, fully-produced audio series, Devil's Clay. So, with all that said, I will leave you to the darkness. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Gand either didn't know or didn't care that Daylight and I didn't play well together, though I assumed it was the latter. And as far as Isaiah was concerned, I knew he thought I could manage, irrespective of the lighting conditions. Naturally, he was likely right. Quite a few of my abilities worked just fine during the day, most notably my Balik. While it wasn't quite as limber under direct light, it was more than a serviceable weapon. And so long as I operated from the shadows, I could still pull off some of my abilities. Crucial to my most recent assignment was that my newest ability worked fine during the day, too, provided I had discovered that the intended bed was sufficiently immersed in darkness. I had to close all the curtains in the room I'd chosen as my jumping-off point. Otherwise, all the bed did was shake, offering up no passage to the way between the beds. The room was located near the alumni building, my ability to interrupt the continuity of waking reality, allowing me to walk right into a vacant room. But the daytime effort strained me, took my wind for a few seconds. I was sure I could pull off the assignment, but the margins had shrunk for certain. I'd need to be extra cautious, painstakingly so. The way between the beds continued to reflect its waking surroundings, blending the polished marble facades and cobblestone streets in mocking, if not corrupting, fashion. My path forward was an urban labyrinth of cracked stone and crumbled frontages, and the thinness of the hallway, combined with all that urban distortion, made my journey feel like a trek across interwoven stages, each one extolling the sights of a metropolis in decline. Vice and apathy working like acid upon both its material and immaterial expressions. I was actually grateful for the horror show because it took my mind off the job ahead. The murder I was tasked to commit. My hope, if it could be called such a thing under those conditions, was that this Mr. Lister character... <laughs> Mr. Lister... <laughs> 
My hope was that he was some kind of Umbrian, something that would sufficiently inspire my hate reflex to kick in, taking the anguish out of the act. But whatever he turned out to be, he was in league with the Screamers, offering them a chance to elevate their range and status, if only they spilled the beans on whatever the Magic Lantern show turned up. He was as worthy of my Balik as Botch. <laughs> Maybe more so. As I had hoped, the way between the beds bypassed all the intervening space in the middle of the two structures, the hotel and the alumni building, proving little more than a labyrinth of interconnected bedrooms. I knew I was on the right track when the hallway assumed a different look, drawing its aesthetic from the alumni building, which from its frontage seemed to incorporate quite a bit of art deco into its appearance. Unfortunately, the windows I passed weren't labeled, so I would have no idea when I came upon Lister's room. Though, if he was from Undor, it might very well announce itself as the darkest room of the lot. Then would come the big question. Would the way out from beneath the bed finally open to me? The hallway's take on Art Deco was bleak, condemning its aspirations to a luxurious tectopia to the junk pile of history. A cubist's nightmare formed the principal look of the corridor, outgrowths like geometric tumors jutting from the mold-encrusted walls. Their gold and bronze coloration soured nearly to yellow. Not too long into my search, I came upon an expanse of entirely blacked-out windows, the darkness spilling over their sills like ink overrunning a container. Gathering that the Undorian probably required some extensive darkness to remain above ground, I decided to step out into one of the previous rooms, provided I could surface from the hallway. The room nearest the blacked-out expanse was sufficiently dark for exiting, the curtains drawn in a storm already darkening the sky. I was just about to start cursing sugar out when my tongue curled with the taste of a thousand sweets. That's when I noticed a small drawing scrawled crudely in red and white chalk, right next to the window. It was a picture of a keyhole. Didn't take me but a second to figure it all out. Withdrawing my Balik, I snapped the blade as short as it would go and slid it into the wall. Smoldering blue light outlined the secret door, and I felt something give as I turned the pommel like a key. And just like that, the way up and out was revealed. The rotting trapdoor above my head slid open, the bed doing likewise as I stepped out from below, from dream. A shaft of lightning blew apart the sky, and thunder rumbled through the floor and up into my bones. When the rain hit, I was grateful for the background noise. It had let me sneak around with a bit more impunity. My stroll through the way between the beds revealed that none of the other rooms on the fourth floor were occupied likely emptied to make room for the Undorian and all the unnatural darkness he required. That and all the guards.
was way too fucking soon to hear that sound again. Oh, the eel things from the bulge of endless night. Being equally acquainted with the sound they made when you killed them, I could tell they were in the middle of a fight. One they were losing. Slipping into the hallway, I crept to the corner of an adjacent corridor, where the sounds were coming from. A wall of liquescent, rippling darkness filled the entire passage. As I watched, the unearthly blackness retreated, and like some deathly tide returning to sea, it left strange corpses in its wake. Several eel things and a dozen or so armed guards. All of them sliced up as cleanly as if by a giant scalpel. Carefully, quietly, I followed the ebb of darkness where it receded into the room at the end of the hallway, one of the deluxe suites. Once the darkness drained away, I inched to the edge of the threshold and peeked inside. Residual darkness hung in the air like smoke after a poker game, and beneath it, crumpled in the far corner, was a figure clad entirely in metal. Lister, I presumed. It wore some kind of mechanical suit, similar to the one Golturo wore, only much smaller and form-fitting. The suit's conduction cables had been cut through as cleanly as the motley crew outside. His life-sustaining darkness denied him. I looked to the strange machine in the corner, where the cables had connected to supply the Andorian his otherworldly pitch. The thing had been smashed in, the occasional spark and hiss of smoke acting as its dying breaths. Wind and rain surged through the nearby window, the perpetrator's most likely egress. Slinking up next to its edge, I peeked outside, rain streaking my face as the wind blew my hood back. At the apex of a gambrel rooftop, just across the back alley, stood a figure, staring straight at me. Some bizarre species of imposing armor covered the humanoid shape head to toe almost organically highlighting the vast muscles in its arms and chest. The helmet partially hidden by a large hood. The massive peel of its black cloak swept out behind it like the billowing banner of a pirate ship. The armor was a mixture of gray and black, with a heavy patina that denoted extensive use, if not age. Somehow, despite all the tarnish, the figure exuded a noble bearing. A king in exile. For a split second, I caught the glimmer of purest gold just beneath the hood. Its eyes. Only slightly less conspicuous than the figure itself was the weapon strapped to its back. A kind of polearm with a large curving blade folded downward from the tip of the thing, laying alongside its length. A moment of silence passed between us as we sized each other up. I levitated through the window, stepping out upon the ledge as the storm threw back my cloak, revealing my hand where it rested on the pommel of my balik. The figure reacted by drawing the weapon from its back. Setting the butt end on the roof, the creature flicked its wrist, snapping the blade upward and outward from its resting place, forming the killing edge of a monstrous scythe. 
With the speed and silence of a stiletto in the dark, the figure leapt at me. I stepped out onto the air itself, my power struggling in the dim light to keep me aloft. My blade held out to receive the attack. I was no swordswoman, however. My Balik, up to that point, was just a weapon I wielded with more gusto than skill. I had the distinct impression I was about to receive my first lesson. And if I wasn't careful, my last. I winced as a nearby tongue of lightning licked the air blazing white. The world came back into focus, and I realized I was alone. The figure had vanished into the storm. Hey, who are you? This is a private floor. Only so that individuals have permission to come up here. Mike, call security. No, Mike. Don't call security. Here was the dream. Moving along like a killing shadow. My mind numbed to the waking worries of my life. Just a will and a gun. And a place to put the bullets. My power was in rare form. I could feel the stain on these guys, where they'd helped themselves to heaping portions of some poor bastard's pain. Killing them was the least they deserved. There was no need to be neat about disposal, so I dumped them down the elevator shaft. By the time they were discovered, I'd be long gone. One way or the other. My ascent of the Enterprise building had been fairly easy. I just killed my way to the top. The guards along my route proved no more than arrogant fat cats armed with weapons they'd no idea how to use. All of them, to greater or lesser degrees, had the stink of pain eating on them. So I guess their inflated confidence came from their brush with supernatural power. Far as I could tell, that brush didn't convey anything of substance. They died all the same. Since no one knew what was coming, and I wasn't far from the otherworldly epicenter of the place, which stood out to me like a kick in the balls, I decided the direct approach would be the way to go. The top floor was set up like the antechamber to hell. The further along I went, the more infernal it became. Horrific murals lined the walls. Statues of the most wicked creatures leered from their dark stone pedestals. And the lighting became progressively dimmer and redder. This had to be the stuff of nightmares. Stalking satanic halls, surging through the darkness... A smile cracked my face as I felt the drift of the moment, the current of nightmare pulling me closer to the boogeyman at the end of the dream. But unlike most of those types of dream, the boogeyman was the prey. Soon I was navigating by my power alone, following where it pulled. 
Thankfully, there were some braziers lighting what I presumed to be the entrance to this Hetch's place. Only made sense, given he was uh, some kind of servitor. Watchdogs are always placed at the front gate. I was relieved to find two guards at either side of one hell of a big wooden door. The sort you'd expect to see the words, Abandon all hope, ye who enter here, written over top. The guards didn't know it yet, but one of them was going to be a big help to me. A headshot put the first guy down, while my next shot was meant only to injure the second. The guy with the bullet in his shoulder didn't so much as flinch. That's when I figured out what these asshats were getting from their diet of screams. Fuckers didn't feel pain. The guard didn't even yank his piece, just lunged at me, barehanded. Now, I may not be the whiz kid my sister is, but I'm no moron. I figured if these guys weren't feeling pain, they could likely dish it out. Those reversed nerve endings that Romy was on about. A headshot was out of the question. I needed this prick alive. But his pain resistance sort of mucked up my plan. Though I might have had a solution. Juicing my power, I tried the same trick I'd used on the fire team back at the hold. Expunging the supernatural pain clinging to their bodies. There was no question that I could neuter this guy drop his power to zero, but I needed more than that. I needed to turn him back to a human. It was pretty clear I'd been boosted at that point, that the uh, big lady in the lift was the real deal. My power came out like an angry winter's wind, frosty air wrapped all around me. Locking hands with the guy where he grabbed at my throat, all I felt was cold flesh. But when I wrenched his hands up, snapping them at the wrist, and he made like he was going to scream, <laughs> mission accomplished. A hard elbow to the chin put him down fast enough. After dragging the guy next to the door, I tried to figure a way in. There was no place for a key, so I figured this was another job for my gift. On any other day, after the kind of effort I'd put into wiping the guard's power, Daytime or not, I'd be flying at half-mast for sure. But not today. Today, I was turned up to 11, and I wasn't even going to think about why. The door finally creaked open after I'd laid my power into it for a few seconds. Little bits of red light flickered out of the widening entrance. If Hatch was in there... I had no choice but to give myself away. There was no other way in but the front door. There are times when you wonder if you've bitten off more than you can chew. And then there's times when you know you have. Still, this was my dream. A place for miracles as much as monsters. And doing the impossible? Well, that was the name of the game. I could feel the point where steadier reality became infected by whatever this place was, wherever in hell it crawled up from. The darkness was crisscrossed by thousands of red-hot lengths of barbed wire, all of them knitted and interwoven to form a gigantic, searing spider's web. 
dotting the lengths of the web were bodies, living persons wrapped and burning and mumbling, their mouths gagged by barbed strands of glowing steel. Stretched across a massive pit, hinted at by the dim, sizzling metal strands, the web was the only way across. On the other side, I could see yet another big door, this one made from red-hot metal, likely the pillory room. Naturally, I ditched the pea-shooters and readied the revolvers. Some of the burning barbed wire tangled together thickly enough to walk across, which would have been fine if I were the sort of fella who didn't feel pain. But I wasn't that sort of fella. My only hope was to shut down the unnatural power funding all the heat. Problem was, my power's jurisdiction came into question the further into the infernal sub-realm I traveled. Though I had a feeling the big white lady juiced me enough to possibly overcome the issue. Welcome to my web, said the spider to the fly. The voice came from a distant corner of the web, where the hissing barbed wire formed a large funnel the type where you'd likely find the master of the house, the spider, waiting with bottomless patience. You know what, Hatch? Ah, fuck it. I ain't got time for this shit. There was no reason to waste a relatively decent shot on yammering back and forth. If he was stupid enough to be standing near the mouth of that funnel, (laughs) well, he was dead meat. I just couldn't be sure I hit him, though. I can see that you're eager to get on with things very well, then. But you should know that my webs are not merely as such, but also schemes of fate, entangling, trapping, and torturing, as has been the way of life since the beginning of it all. Mine is a burning monument to excruciating futility where the fate of flies has always been written in the weave of silken webs. And here I thought I was a pessimist. But uh, don't you think you're taking all this spider business a little too seriously? I mean, underneath all that metal and pain-fueled metamorphosis, you're just some rich dickhead with delusions of grandeur. And... By the by, I ain't no fly fella. No more than I'm one of the poor schmucks you've been suckering into this bird for a quick fix. You see, Hatch, I'm just plain old karma. And you're long overdue for what's coming to you. Now, make your play. As you wish.
What crept out of that funnel of blazing barbed wire was as much an affront to nature as it was to science. A red-hot mechanical arachnid about the size of a goddamn bus. Its metallic mandibles whirred as they preened its forelegs. Protruding fangs dripped molten saliva. Its legs, all eight of them, saw-bladed and hooked, danced along the web with eerie grace. I suspected that its bulbous abdomen, covered in layers of glowing, riveted steel, was host to its power source. People. God knew how many. All of them in the throes of unrelenting pain. I could only guess at what was being done to them. And somewhere inside the thing, pulling all the levers and pressing all the buttons, or however the damn thing was piloted, was Hatch. Fly. Karma, reclamation officer, none of it matters, because very soon, you will be but one more husk in my burning web, your screams a lullaby, sending me back to the sleep you've so foolishly interrupted. The Sleep-Wake Cycle is a Maltopia production. Today's episode was written by Mark Anzalone and performed by Kelly Bear and Mark Anzalone. The episode was edited by Walker Kornfeld. Sound production and editing was performed by Stephen Anzalone. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Maltopia. That's M-A-E-L-T-O-P-I-A. And if you'd like to know more about the world of the Sleep-Wake Cycle and contribute to its nightmarish expansion visit us at www.patreon.com forward slash Meltopia, where you can gain access to all sorts of art, mythology, stories, and more. For more information about the sleep-wake cycle and the larger world of Meltopia, head over to Meltopia.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.